Welcome to this message from Shofar Christian Church. May you experience God's grace as you listen to this word being preached. Okay, and those of you who want to follow in your Bibles are welcome to, to open up at uh, Proverbs 5 with me. Um, I, I think there are few subjects as popular and as, you know, regularly covered in the media as, as sex. And um, we all know that sex is, a, is obviously a very powerful thing. If you get so many songs about it, so many movies, you know, that, that about it, so many books written about it, um, you know, most of us probably have either are married or have dreams of getting married um, and you know having families and you know sex is 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 a big part of our lives god created us as, as sexual beings and we can learn about sex in all kinds of different places and the reality is unfortunately Many, if not most people, learn in all the wrong places, you know. You, you, you learn about sex from the cloakroom wall, you know, the graffiti that someone wrote there, or from the TV or, and, the, and, the, and the shows and stuff that you watch on TV, or movies, or magazines, or friends who think, you know, they, they're really good at this and they know, really know a lot about it, or the latest bestseller. Or we can turn to God's wisdom and learn about, um, about it. Uh, now, the book of Proverbs is basically... Um, the book of Proverbs basically condenses a, a lot of important aspects of God's wisdom. And one of the things that it, it talks about in terms of God's wisdom is, is the whole issue of, of sex. So the Bible doesn't avoid the issue of sex. Now, you might ask, okay, but what is wisdom? You know, uh, what is this wisdom that you're talking about? Wisdom is, is not just knowing right and wrong. Okay? Wisdom is not less than knowing what is right and wrong. But wisdom is a lot more than knowing what is right and wrong. Wisdom is actually the ability to, to understand and obey God's will, not only in the 20% of situations which the rules, God's laws, cover, but also in the 80% of situations which the rules don't cover. So, I mean, the, the, the laws of Scripture are clear, you know, do not steal, do not murder, do not lie, all of those things. And obviously, wisdom is not less than obeying those. But, I mean, how do you, often the choices we have to make is not the choice between right and wrong. It's not the choice, shall I steal or shan't I steal? Sometimes it's a choice of which job will I take? And actually, both are good jobs. Or which partner will I marry? Or, you know, how do I choose friends? Or, you know, how do I choose a career? Or all of those things where there's no clear right and wrong. There's not a moral right and wrong. How do you make decisions? How do you know and understand God's will and obey God's will in those situations where there's not a clear right and wrong? And wisdom is a big part to the answer um, of that. Let me just um, read you a scripture that to me is probably the best definition of wisdom in the Bible. Ephesians 5 or 17 where, where Paul, in a sense, defines wisdom. He says, therefore, do not be foolish. Now, obviously, foolishness is the opposite of wisdom. Okay? So, so he's, he's defining wisdom here by its contrast. So the, this verse doesn't contain the, 
the word wisdom, but he does basically by contrast. So, so he says, therefore, do not be foolish, but in contrast, understand what the Lord's will is. So what he's basically saying, you could, you could put, it, put it this way. He's saying, therefore, do not be foolish, but in contrast, be wise. But instead of saying be wise, he says something else. He says, understand what the Lord's will is. So that's the heart of wisdom. The heart of wisdom is understanding what the Lord's will is. And isn't that what we want for ourselves? To be able to understand the Lord's will? Isn't that what we want for our children and for the people that we lead? To know what God's will is and to be able to obey uh, God's will. Now, we're going to look at God's, um, God's, uh, what God has to say um, uh, in, in His wisdom in Proverbs 5 uh, about sexual relationships. So I'm going to just read it to you, the whole chapter. Um, listen carefully and, and just, just get the, notice the pictures, firstly, the, the metaphors that are used. And secondly, notice how the Bible seems to have, at the same time, a very negative and a very positive view of sex. There are strong warnings to avoid it, but also strong encouragement to indulge in it. <laughs> okay? And then also note that the Bible's not prudish about sex. I mean, some of you might be shocked as we read this chapter now how um, explicitly and vividly the Bible speaks about sex. And some of you might even blush. <laughs> says, My son, pay attention to my wisdom. Turn your ear to my words of insight, that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Now, let me just interrupt myself there just for a moment. Firstly, notice that in order, I mean, the, the, the teacher here is speaking to a boy, a son. Now, You'll notice throughout Proverbs it says, my son, my son, and so on. Uh, and you might say, well, you know, that's, you, you know where, where's, where's, the, where's the daughter? Why is it only speaking to sons, not daughters? But we know the book of Proverbs is like a, in a sense, like an ancient Boy Scout manual, you know, that was for training boys in how to be, be men. Um, so when, when you have a Boy Scout manual, you're not going to expect the Girl Scout perspective, okay? So uh, just see it from that perspective. But also, it's not very difficult to, from what is said to men and to boys to extrapolate and to contextualize it for, for women as well. So I think we can all, not just the young men, but young and old, male and female, we can all learn from this. Secondly, also notice that he says, the teacher says, I, I basically have wisdom and I have insight. But in order for what is mine to become yours, you must pay attention and you must listen. Okay? So unless you pay attention, you're not going to buy the wisdom. Okay? Attention is the price that you, we need to pay in order to gain wisdom. Wisdom doesn't automatically just become ours. We need to listen to it. So firstly, we need to listen to it. Then it says, you'll, you'll see as you go on, we need to live it. And then later on, it, it, it says we need to leave it behind. We need to share it with others. In other words, wisdom only really becomes yours when you give it away. Okay, so if you really want to live a wise life, learn to listen, live, and leave a legacy of wisdom to other people. And then wisdom will be yours. And, and, and if, if Proverbs is, is, is right, then there's nothing more precious that you can gain than wisdom in this life. 
and it's worth paying attention to and, and receiving. And then another thing I just want you to notice, it says that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. Here's a problem we have. Okay, here's a problem we have. Our wisdom, our knowledge, our insight, our discretion, all those good things, our understanding, our wisdom leaks. We forget it, we lose it. <laughs> especially when we come into certain situations and he's going to mention a situation now where there's temptation you know the reality is our wisdom leaks in other words wisdom needs to be maintained and preserved and that's why you need to be in a community that together pursues wisdom so we can constantly remind one another as we heard you know we remind God of his promises not because he forgets but because we forget and likewise, we need to remind one another of God's wisdom. Um, otherwise, we forget. We, it, it leaks. And then verse 3 goes on and it says, For the lips of an adulterous woman, some other translations say, say a strange woman, drip honey. Her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths wander aimlessly, but she does not know it. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep uh, to the path. Keep your uh, keep to a path far from her. Do not go. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan, and your flesh, when your flesh and body are spent. He will say, how I hated the discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ear to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. Let me just interrupt myself there before I read the rest. Notice here that just because you're in the assembly of God's people doesn't guarantee that you'll live a wise life the the scary reality for all of us is that you can die of foolishness within earshot of wisdom you can die of your foolishness within earshot of wisdom within the assembly of god's people Verse 15 says, drink water from your own cistern running water from your own well should your springs overflow in the street and your streams of water in the public squares. Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with, uh, with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breast satisfy you always. May you ever be intoxicated with her love. Why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? For, for your ways are in full view of the Lord. And he examines all your paths. The evil deeds of the wicked ensnare them. The cords of their sins hold them fast. For lack of discipline they will die, led astray by their own great folly. And we just thank you, Lord God, that this is your word. And that your word is living and powerful. And we pray, Lord God, that, that you will really teach it to our hearts and give us wisdom, your wisdom, about this topic of sex and marriage in Jesus' name. Amen. Now just notice how unapologetically, you know, the Bible speaks about sex. Okay? So often, you know, we either, you know, 
speak casually and vulgarly of, vulgarly of it, you know, in the world, or, you know, in the church, we tend to be prudish and, you know, prim and proper and completely avoid it and not speak about it at all. You know, we treat it as like a taboo subject, but the Bible doesn't. I mean, just, just notice, you know, the, the bare-faced, unapologetic celebration of sexual love within marriage that is there. I mean, it talks about, you know, drink water from your own cistern, uh, um, running water from your own well. And, and the cistern and the well uh, where you have to go and get the water is, is a picture of male, uh, female sexuality. And then he talks about, in, in the next verse, uh, your springs of water and the streams of water. You know, springs are, you know, you don't have to go and put a bucket down into a spring to get water. The, the water is under pressure. It just flows out, which is a very vivid picture of male sexuality. Okay? Then he talks about, you know, the, your wife... Uh, you know, it, it talks about, may your fountain be blessed. You know, don't, don't imagine that, you know, because otherwise I might lose you for the rest of the sermon and, you, <laughs> you know, not have your attention, okay? Um, but, but just the fact that our sexuality is blessed. You know, so often as Christians, we have this funny idea that the devil invented sex and like it's dirty. But we forget that God created us and he created us as sexual beings. He made us male and female and he, he made it, if it's done, if it's done in, in the right place and in the right way, it's actually really beautiful and really powerful. And from the beginning, he blessed it. It says he blessed Adam and Eve. And he said to them, have sex. I mean, that's what he said. He said, be fruitful and multiply. How do you think they were going to do it? Okay. <laughs> and I've heard someone say <clears throat> that God said, uh, we must be fruitful and multiply. And that's one of the commandments he never revoked in the New Testament. Just saying, you know. Okay, anyway. And then it says, you know, be, you, 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 you know, your wife, um, a graceful dear, uh, may her breast satisfy you always. That's in the Bible. <laughs> right? May, may you be ever intoxicated with her love. I mean, this is, this is really strong language. It's not, it's not um, vulgar. But it's very vivid and it's very powerful and it's very direct. Um, and what we learn, just three things I, I want to highlight from this text that, that I see here. There are obviously a lot more, but just three, three little things I want to highlight. Firstly, this, this text shows us, firstly, the, the disappointment of sexual folly. Then it shows us the satisfaction of sexual wisdom. And then it shows us how sex actually points us to God and the gospel. So, so let's just look at that for a moment. Um, firstly... It says that it's, um, in its folly, the world often makes promises about sex it cannot deliver on. It, it often misrepresents sex and sort of, um, yeah, just, just makes empty promises about sex, which ultimately lead to disappointment. Um, firstly, it, it talks about, in verse 3, let me just get there again. Uh, the lips of an adulterous woman. Literally there, I mean, what, what the NIV translates an adulterous woman is a strange woman. Now, you might think, okay, what on earth is that? Let me, let me just go and... The word zarah um, is often in the male form and in the plural, often translated as strangers or foreigners. Um, and the basic thought there, according to the theological word book of the Old Testament, is of non-acquaintance and non-relatedness. In other words, someone you're not related to. In other words literally someone you're not married to in this context. Um, uh, Deuteronomy 25 verse 5 uses the same word just in the male form. 
and, and which gives us a sort of a, a picture of what, what the meaning is. It says, this is one of the laws that we don't apply, praise God, anymore, but it's a strange law, you'll see. It says, it's, the, it's called the Leverite law. It says, if brothers are living together and one of them dies without a son, his widow must not marry outside the family. It, literally, it says, must not marry a stranger, a czar, which is just the, the, the male version of Zarah. Uh, in other words, mustn't male someone out, marry someone outside the family. So this is a good translation. Her husband's brother shall take her and marry her and fulfill the duty of her brother-in-law to her. Okay, praise God. <laughs> um, this was part of the, the Jewish um, civil laws. So you get moral laws, you get ceremonial laws like sacrificing and all that kind of stuff, and then you get the civil laws. Uh, you know, we have our own set of civil laws in South Africa, so we don't have to obey this. It's not a moral law. Um, <laughs> praise God. But <clears throat> give us a good idea of what the Zara is, what a strange woman is. She's one that you're not related to. In, in the context here of, of Proverbs 5, clearly one you're not married to. Um, and there are lots of disappointments, according to this text, that come from having sex with someone you're not married to, with, with a Zara, with, with a strange woman that, that, that you're not married to. Um, firstly, um, the sweet goes to bitter. Now, notice it says here in in, in verse 3, for the lips of an adulterous woman or a strange woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. And when someone wants to seduce you, when someone wants something from you, when they want, uh, you know, to seduce you into a sexual relationship which is not right, uh, and we're going to see, you know, what, what that entails in a moment, often, you know, There'll be sweet lips, and, and the lip, sweet lips can, the honey lips can represent either kisses or the speech. And then it's, it specifically says, and the speech is smoother than oils. You know? so, so verbal seduction and physical seduction. But notice what it says. It says, but, in verse 4, in the end, she is bitter as gall, sharp as a double-edged sword. So the sweetness of the honey turns to bitter gall, and the smooth speech turns to the stabs of a sharp sword. Okay. And, and, and here's the thing. Anyone who wants sex from you outside of marriage ultimately only wants to use you. And we can turn that around and say to ourselves as well, if we want sex outside of marriage from someone, we actually only want to use them. Okay. And why, what do you know about someone who wants to use you? They're selfish. They have a need they want met. They're not really interested in you and loving you. And therefore, it's not, it's not surprising that the sweet lips and the smooth speech turn bitter and sharp when they don't want you anymore or when they can get something better somewhere else because you're actually only being used all along. But notice, he doesn't only say her lips will turn bitter as gall. It says she in the end, she is bitter as gall. So, one of the first disappointments is you expect sweetness and you're seduced by the sweetness, but it becomes bitter very quickly. Um, the second one is, you know, it promises gain, but it ultimately ends in loss. Um, in verse 9 to 11, it says, At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. Um, 
In fact, let me just read from verse 7. It says, Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside. Keep to the path. Keep your path far away from her. Do not go near the door of her house, lest you lose your honor to others and your dignity to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich the house of another. At the end of your life, you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. So, you know, and I've heard this from many different um, people uh, who are Christians now, but maybe before they became Christians, they lived a wild life, they slept around and say, they always say, they always say something like this to me, I thought I was gaining something and I didn't realize what I was losing. I thought I was gaining so much, I thought I was winning so much, I thought, ooh, you know, am I not lucky, you know, for this relationship, this romance, you know, this excitement, you know, and all this great sex that I'm having, you know. I thought I was gaining something, but I didn't realize how much I was losing. I didn't realize it. <clears throat> and it says here, if you read this text carefully, it talks about um, the social cost, you know, losing your honor. It talks about um, a psychological cost, losing your dignity. It talks about the economic cost, losing your wealth and, 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 and the, the, the hard work the, the things that you worked hard for. It talks about the physical cost. You know, you will groan when your flesh and your body are spent. I mean, this, this obviously is before, you know, we knew about all kinds of sexually transmitted diseases, but part of what this can be referring to is certainly that, at least. Um, and it promises gain, but it, in the end, it leads to loss. And, and what, what the, the psalm, uh, what the Proverbs the, uh, is, is basically saying to us is if you take what does not belong to you, you will lose what does belong to you. If you take what does not belong to you, a strange woman, another man's wife, you will lose what does belong to you. Your social standing, there will be a social, a psychological, economic, a physical cost. There will be a cost in every area of life. Now what's the solution, it says? What's the solution it gives to us? The Bible says, stay far from her and do not go near. You know, there are a few mistakes um, I don't want my children to make. I, you know, I, I don't mind them making mistakes, and, I, and especially if they can learn from those mistakes. You know, some, uh, I, I remember you know, a saying I read on one of our English books you know, at school that said, only some of us can learn from others' mistakes. The rest of us have to be the others. <laughs> and that's an unfortunate reality, you know. Sometimes you do, the only, th the only way you're going to learn is from your mistakes. But there are some mistakes I don't want my children to make. And those are the mistakes that are so destructive and so addictive that it's very hard to break free from them. Stuff like drugs and sex and all those kind of stuff. And the reason for that is because those mistakes cost you so much because they don't just, it's not just a mistake you make and, oh, you know, I can sort of turn it back. Often they're so addictive, they capture you, and that's what, what we're going to see just now. They keep you captive. So I don't want, there are certain mistakes I don't want my children to make. Um, and in those cases, what you need to do is you need to know where the line is and you need to stay well clear of the line. Okay? You need to know where the line is and you need to stay well clear of the line. Um, in other words, don't, don't play with something that is that powerful and that dangerous. So here you have 
Mr. and Mrs. Spoon, you know. <laughs> Two young unmarried people, you know. Hi, Mr. Spoon, you're so tall and handsome. <laughs> oh, Mrs. Spoon, wow, look at you, you know. You're so, you're so beautiful. Don't you want to go on a date with me? Oh, yes, you know. <laughs> and start visiting each other, start spending time together, and um, <laughs> fall in love with one another, and then, you know, Mr. and Mrs. Spoon, are, you know, he's visiting at her house, and, you know, they, they're enjoying one another's company, and the, and, the, and, the, and the hours feel like minutes, and it just goes by, and like, oh, what's the time? Oh, it's 10 past 11, you know, it's, uh, but I, do, I don't want you to leave, and I, I, I don't want to leave either, so let's just, let's just, uh, let's just, um, let's just uh, lie down and just sort of rest for a while. Muni <laughs> Liepoleni. <laughs> Don't think, you know, we're Christians, you know, we're holy, you know. We can resist the temptation, okay? You might not be able to. Don't think, oh, you know, it's, it's past 11, you know. Trust me. Some of you know. Some of you are married know. Bad things start to happen after 11 because you start to get tired. You start to, you know, you're not, you're not got so much self-control anymore. If you know that line is there, stay well clear of it. Say to yourself, okay, we're going to care until 10 o'clock or half past 10, and then we know after that we're going to start losing our self-control. We're not going to take that risk because it's not worth the risk. Okay? Yes, we, we, we enjoy touching one another and there's that you know, electricity you know, and hugging one another and so on, but you know, lying and falling to sleep together on the bed, that's, that's way too close to the line for comfort. Don't, take, don't risk what you can't afford to lose. Okay? Now, I know many of us have not respected those boundaries and we have stepped over those boundaries and we've even stepped over you know, every boundary imaginable. And, and you might be feeling guilty and ashamed because of that, but know that God also has grace for us and He can make things right where we, where we made wrong choices. <coughs> so know where the line is and, stay w- uh, and don't go near it. In other words, don't say, how far can we go? Isn't that what, you know, we always ask, you know? <laughs> okay, I don't want to step over the line, but how far can I go? Well, if you respect the power of sex, you will not try and go as far as you can go, because then you'll be going too far already, okay? Now, I'm, I'm not, you know, I know some people say, don't even hold hands, you know, I, I think it's fine to hold hands, you know, um, and that kind of stuff, but set boundaries, and, and here I just want to talk for, to the men just for a second, okay? Protect the woman that God gives to you, protect her virtue, Respect her and protect her. If she loves you and you're like really handsome and charming to her and she's really attracted to you, then if you work hard enough, you might be able to break through her defenses. And, but if you convince her and entice her to do something she doesn't want to do, you're going to bring great guilt and shame upon her and she might resent you for the rest of your life so that even if you marry her, she might resent you for not protecting her. 
So, men, let's be strong here, yeah? and and let's 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 be let's do the the right thing, okay? Don't be don't be Mr. and Mrs. Spoon, okay? When he Okay, but also it 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 promises, you know, it takes something which is pure and make, and makes it polluted. It doesn't only turn sweet into bitter and gain into loss, but it turns purity into pollution. It talks about streams flowing in the, in the street and, 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 and running in the public square. And in those days, the public square and the street were dirty because they didn't have like an underground sewage system. You know, the sewage and stuff was just thrown out, you know, into the street in, in many villages and, and cities and stuff, especially in the, more in the cities. So the picture of a public square and street is dirty. That's why you had to wash one another's feet when someone came to visit you. It was just good manners to wash someone's feet because they'd been walking with sandals in, in, in the heat, sweating, but also picking up that grimy dust, you know, filled with a little bit of sewage, you know. So when it talks about streams flowing in the streets and in the public square, it talks about taking something which is pure and polluting it, okay? And there's a purity and an innocence that we all start off with that the devil wants to defile uh, and bring pollution to. But then also, it, you know, it promises freedom, but it actually delivers bondage. Now, here's, here's the argument that the world uses. It says that you're only truly free if you are free from all limitations. Freedom is defined as freedom from limitations. But that's a deception. When you're free from limitations, you're not really free. Think about it this way. If a fish were free to move around, if you take it out of the water and say, okay, you're free to move around on dry land and you throw it onto the grass, you know, and it flops around there. Oh, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free. You know. (laughs) It's actually not free. It's going to die. It's going to die. In other words... We need certain limitations. We desperately need certain limitations. We were designed to, like a fish was designed to be limited to water because it has gills and it can only breathe underwater. So we were designed to live and function optimally within certain limitations. God designed us that way. And true freedom is finding the right limitations that fit our design and living within them. That is true freedom. And what God says to us when it comes to sex, it's limited to marriage. Find the right limitations that fit your design and live within them. And, and God says that the right limitations for where sex should happen is within committed marriage, the marriage covenant. So there's the disappointment of sexual foolishness, but then there's also the satisfaction of sexual wisdom. And I'm going to try and go a bit faster now. Marriage... And it says in verse 15, you know, it repeats that phrase, your own. Drink water from your own system, your own well, your streams, um, etc. Um, marriage with your own wife is the boundary or safety wall uh, from which sex should not overflow. Do not let it overflow in the streets and in the public square. So what, what the, 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 the sage is saying to us in Proverbs is, Marriage is not a limitation to limit our pleasure and our enjoyment of life. It's a safety wall to protect us, to, so that within the safety of marriage, 
we can enjoy something that we need to be very vulnerable in order to enjoy, we can enjoy it safely. We can enjoy it safely. Um, let me put it this way. It says, drink water only within. You alone, never strangers. And, and, and it's, it's like, you know, the, the, the typical analogy used is, is the analogy of fire, you know. The fire of this heater, you know. You can, you can heat yourself from it. So it's, it's not bad. It, it, it can be good. You can even take a marshmallow and maybe bright, you know, in the heat of this fire, you know. Uh, fire can give light and it can give heat. Fire is not, fire per se is, is not bad. But if you take that fire out of the fireplace and you put it in the roof, then the whole house is going to burn down. Now, does that make the fire evil because it burned down the house? No, it just means you have not respected the fire. You took it out of the place where it belongs and put it where it does not belong. And it's the same with sex. If you keep the fire in the fireplace, it's good. But if you put it in the roof where it doesn't belong, it's destructive. If you keep sex within marriage where it belongs, it's good. But when you take it out, it's destructive. And I know many of you are sitting here and, and sort of in your hearts are saying, yes, amen. I didn't believe that, but I experienced it. When I took the fire out of the fireplace, it burned down my life. It, it brought great destruction. And, and I'm still sitting with the scars and the pain of what I experienced, the devastation that I experienced. Um, but then it says... Um, Sex was designed by God to be enjoyed within marriage. It says, drink water from your own well. So, so sex is, is metaphorically represented as running water, pure running water that can quench your thirst. And then it says, be intoxicated with a, you know, the love of your wife. In other words, it's, it's, it's not just... It doesn't just have the ability like water to quench your thirst. But at the same time, ironically and even most paradoxically, it has the power of wine to intoxicate you, you know, and make you sort of stagger around, you know, in love, you know, make you almost drunk with love. Um, and, and, and we are commanded to enjoy sex within the space, that, the safe space that God gave where it can be enjoyed, which is which is, of course, marriage. It's interesting, the word for intoxicated, in verse 19 and 20, it says, um, a loving doe, a graceful deer, may her breast satisfy you always. Uh, may, may you ever be intoxicated with her love. The word intoxicated, then, in, in the next verse, it repeats it, verse 20, why, my son, be intoxicated with another man's wife? Why embrace the bosom of a wayward woman? In verse 23, it actually uses that word again, but it's translated differently. It says, for lack of discipline, they will die led astray by their own folly. That word led astray is the same Hebrew word. So the word intox translated intoxicated can also, I mean, some people say it would be better translated captivated. Be captivated by a wife's love. Why be captivated by a love of, of, uh, of another man's wife? And then it says, led astray by their own great folly. In other words, captivated, led in captivity. Um, and, 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 and the picture there is that, you know, of a wife, you know, whose husband is so in love with her in verse 19 that, you know, she can wrap him around her little finger, you know. You know? <laughs> He's so in love with her, so lovesick that, you know, she can lead him. She's, she's captivated him with his love and she can just, you know, he just wants to do whatever she wants because he just loves her so much, you know. It's like your wish is my command. 
darling. <laughs> but then in verse 23, that same word is used, and it says, for lack of discipline they will die, led astray or captivated um, by their own folly. So we can be captivated with, with, with folly. And, 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 and here's the thing. When, when you have sex, you are inevitably captivated by someone because God designed sex to bind people together covenantally. That's what it's for. That's what it was designed for. Sex was not designed by God primarily for self-satisfaction, although it is very enjoyable and pleasurable. It's not designed by God primarily for self-expression. It was designed by God primarily for self-giving, for self-donation. Sex is a way in which you can give yourself to someone else. And you will do that, and that because this is the power of sex. You will do that whether you intend to do it or not. Whether you intend to do it or not, you will do it. If you have sex with someone, you give yourself to them. Um, in other words, you get two kinds of relationship in the world. You get what is called covenant relationship and you get what is called commercial relationship. Now, commercial relationship is the relationship of the marketplace. The exchange of goods. Okay, and in the marketplace it works like this. I pay you a certain amount, you give me a certain goods, certain goods or services um, in exchange for that. So it's an exchange relationship. Okay? Covenant relationship is not an exchange relationship. Okay? Covenant, in an exchange relationship, in a commercial relationship, you are in it as long as the cost-benefit ratio is favorable to you. So you might, you know, go to the same, you know, spa, you know, every week, and you get to know the people there, you get to know the manager, you get to know the people, you actually develop a relationship with them. But if their prices go up sharply or the quality of their products go down and you can get a better product for cheaper somewhere else. You're going to go there because it's a commercial relationship. Okay? The problem is, yes, and this is a very important problem, no one can live their life, a healthy human, satisfied human life, with only commercial relationships. If there's always the pressure to perform, you know, to be good enough, otherwise, you know, if, if everyone's always calculating, oh, you know, is the cost-benefit ratio, you know, am I getting enough from you for what I'm giving? I mean, what kind of way is that to live? Can you imagine the pressure? There's no one, there's no way to let your hair down. And, and here's the problem. Commercialization is happening all across the world where the marketplace relationship, commercial relationship, is starting to invade every other area of life. Where in, a, in its wisdom, the earlier generations understood that all your relationships cannot be commercial relationships. You need covenant relationships that are until death do us part. Covenant relationships where you don't have to perform. Covenant relationships where you're not constantly being measured, you know, is the cost-benefit ratio good enough, you know. And where there's constantly the threat of someone leaving when they feel they can get a better goods or services elsewhere. But through commercialism that commercial relationship is starting to invade every other area of life. And now many people treat what should be covenant relationships like commercial relationships, amongst others marriage. And they'll say, well, I'm in this marriage, 
as long as my needs are met, as long as the cost-benefit ratio is favorable. And they'll say things like, marriage is give and take. No, it's not, actually. (laughs) Marriage is give and receive. When you make a marriage covenant, you say, for better or for worse, in sickness or in health, till death do us part. Even when it costs me dearly to be in this relationship, I commit to stay in this relationship. Even when the benefits are no longer there. That's, that's covenant. Even if it's not beneficial to me, I'm going to stay in this relationship. Now, you know, some of you might be a, bit, a little bit offended by the idea um, that if you really love someone, you'll make a covenant, marriage, commitment to them. And, and you know, I don't, I don't know where you are, but maybe you're in a relationship and you're not married. Maybe it's even a sexual relationship. Um, and I'm not saying you don't love the person that you're having sex with, but will you admit this? That unless you're married, you're not fully committed to that person. The back door is still open. You can still leave. And if you don't intend to leave, why not marry? Why not make that covenant and say, till death do us part? You see, outside of the marriage relationship, of the marriage covenant, we are actually only using one another. And that's, that's the tragedy of the way so many in the world go around and use sex. People are seen as products and not as people. We end up using one another and being used by one another. And it hurts. And that binding power of, of sex is not respected. And it, I mean, you just imagine taking two pieces of, you know, this brown cardboard box and sticking it together with glue and waiting it for, for the glue to dry and then taking that and ripping it up, those two pieces apart again. What's going to happen? It's going to tear. It's going to rip. And part of that, that cardboard is going to stick, you know, to, to the other piece. And, and some of you have experienced that. You've, you know, sex is a, is a kind of relational super glue. Okay? Sex is a kind of relational super glue. You stick yourself to someone through it, whether you intend to or not. When you rip it apart, it tears off pieces of you, of your soul, of, 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 of your person, of your, of your psyche, and it get less, gets left behind. And I'm going to ask uh, Karin to share just a testimony just in a, in a, in a moment. But the sad thing of, of that is when you then get to marriage, and you then want to give yourself, you realize all of me is not there to give. There are so many pieces left o- uh, behind all over the place that now that I do want to give all of me, I don't have all of me to give. Okay, and that's sad. Um, C.S. Lewis says this about marriage, and, and I, I love it, I think it's very powerful. He says, the Christian idea of marriage is based on Christ's words that a man and a wife are to be regarded as a single organism, for that is what the word one flesh would be in modern English. So he's referring back to Genesis 2 where it says, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And the Christian the Christians believe that when he said this, he was not expressing a sentiment but stating a fact. Just as one is stating fact when one says, 
and that a lock and, a, and its key are one mechanism, or a violin and a bow are one musical instrument. The inventor of the human machine was telling us that its two halves, the male and the female, were made to be combined together in pairs, not simply on the sexual level, but totally combined. The monstrosity of sexual intercourse outside of marriage is that those who indulge in it are trying to isolate one kind of union, the sexual, from all other kinds of union which were intended to go along with it and to make up the total union. (coughs) The Christian attitude does not mean that there is anything wrong about sexual pleasure, any more than about the pleasure of eating. It means that you must not isolate the pleasure by trying to get it by itself, any more than you ought to try and get the pleasures of taste without swallowing and digesting, by chewing things and spitting them out again. Lewis has a way of saying things, doesn't he? In a sense, what he's saying to us is, you know, if we have sex outside of marriage, what we're basically doing is chewing one another and then spitting one another out to try and get the pleasure of taste, but without the allowing the person to become part of you. Okay? In other words, we shouldn't try and have sexual union without financial union, without emotional union, without relational union, without... In other words, there should be a whole life commitment to one another within which there's the safety to make the sexual commitment and, and have the sexual union. Th- does that make sense? Um, so, Karin, won't you come up, please, and, and quickly come and share your testimony? She's just going to, in five minutes, share a little bit about what her experience about this has been. Hi, good morning, everybody. Um, you know, like many of you, I grew up in a Christian home, and I knew what the Bible's expectations was regarding sex and marriage, and I got married young, with every intention to be pure like a dove, <laughs> and happily ever after, <laughs> although um, it didn't work out that way. We got divorced, and my foundation was sh- sh- shaken. And uh, I felt like the divorce was a big personal failure. And if you've messed up once, you might as well mess up again. <laughs> it's easier the second time around, and you become desensitized. And a few years later, I found myself living a lifestyle that was empty. And it wasn't something I aspired to live to. <laughs> I actually thought it was quite despicable. <laughs> and... Um, I knew I had to change. I knew that if I wanted to reach my goals, um, like I guess every girl in the world wants to be married to Prince Charming and have a family, if I wanted to reach that, I would need to make a 180-degree change in my life, and I recommitted my life to God. I took a year off, and I just set up new boundaries and just found my identity in that. And then as time went by, I had struggles that came up. One of the fears that I had was, oh, well, I might not ever get married again, um, or I might not meet somebody, or, and the consequence of that would, would be I would live a pure and holy life, <laughs> like a nun, <laughs> which, um, which I had to make peace with and say, you know what, in order to serve God, if that's what it takes, that's what I'm going to do. And I did. I made that decision. And I started changing everything. And with time, 
I really enjoyed living. I enjoyed, for the first time, I was truly alive. I found sports and got art and things in ways I've never actually experienced it before. And um, we went on a trip. I went on a trip, uh, this adventure trip in the Richtersveld, and Mr. Wilson was there. And I was so busy finding myself that I didn't even realize he was making a move. <laughs> so, <laughs> and so only after we got married, <laughs> I realized, oh, you know, I was quite blind <laughs> at the time. But today, looking back, I'm really grateful that that journey for me, I realized that it felt like my redeeming love, the God's redeeming love was revealed for me in Peter, in that he had, um, he had such grace for me and for the things that I did wrong, that he gave me a man that had similar grace for me and colored my sin. And he took me as I am. And that was very special. And I often think it's like Ruth. I didn't want to get emotional. <laughs> it's like Ruth. When Ruth said to God, or actually she said to Naomi, Naomi, your God is my God and your people are my people. God's redemptive love was proven to her by Boaz or through Boaz. And she ended up being in the, the, the grandmother of, 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 of David. Yeah. And, um, and being part of the genealogy of Christ. And that's really special. And if I look at it like that, like um, what... what uh, Annie actually mentioned at the end here, you know, about what you want to give to somebody. Like, I also realized that I didn't, I don't have all of that that I could give to people. Because I actually often say to him, yes, you know, I wish I, I wish I had more I can give you. <laughs> I wish I could just give you more. And I f do feel, and I did, and that is a, a battle for me, that I do feel that I did, I was, I spent myself cheaply if I can say that. I'm, I wasted part of myself along the way. But I, for me now, I have to hold on to God's word that says, I will give you back the years the locust has eaten. And I'm claiming that those parts of myself back every day so that I can give more of myself in the relationship that I'm in. Yeah, so that's my destiny. <laughs> I, uh, uh, sorry? Oh, about Esau, yeah, or like I said to, to Hini, I think what happens, and that's the part of um, growing up in a Christian home, you know, we grow up, we know what's, what's expected. Like Esau and a, um, Jacob, they also grew up, uh, they were both the sons of, of Israel, of Israel, right? <laughs> and um, from Jacob. So they knew what the birthright was. Both of them knew what it was. But Esau didn't value it the way Jacob valued it. And I think that was definitely my experience. I didn't value uh, or didn't see the value in, um, especially after the divorce, uh, of oh, why you shouldn't have sex outside of marriage, you know, um, until I, I met Peter. <laughs> then uh, reality hit home. <laughs> and I think, um, I think that's, that's what happened with Esau. You know, he sold his birthright for lengthy soup for, soup for a bowl of soup because he didn't know what the value was and he didn't know that 
uh, you know, he actually had a, he had the key to, if I can call it, even longevity and an inheritance in in the blessing. He had the key and he gave it away because he he wanted soup and he wanted it now because <laughs> he's hungry. <laughs> and that's that's definitely what happens to us. We we don't understand. We don't. We hear people say, "Oh, don't have sex outside of marriage," but you don't understand what the value of that is. You, you know, and I can, a lot of people don't. And if you're not married, you don't understand. <laughs> you think you know, but you don't know, <laughs> you know. Uh, yeah, so with time, uh, like really apply yourself to find out wh how valuable that really is. And even if you find out later, yeah, like that's, that's it, <laughs> I guess. Thanks, Karin. Wow. Isn't it, isn't it amazing how God can redeem? And... Um, you know, I think what we, what we really need to get from Karin is don't give away what is precious cheaply. Don't give it away cheaply. It is precious, more precious maybe than you realize. Um, and if you have given it away cheaply, like Karin uh, was testifying she had done, seek God's redemption because he can redeem it. It's not like there's no hope for you. It's not like God cannot make you new. I can tell you Peter is very happy with his wife, very, very glad that God gave him a wife, um, even, even if, if she had to walk a crooked path to get to, to him. Um, and, and I just asked the band to, to come up and start maybe playing softly in the background so long. Um, you know, life and marriage are not primarily about sex and self-fulfillment. Okay, that's important because that's one of the big lies that the world tells us, that life and marriage is primarily about sex and it's primarily about self-fulfillment. It's not. It's not. Um, you know, in this, in this passage that we read, in verse 12 it says, you know, at the end of your life, it says to the, to the son, you know, if, if he... If he you know, gives himself to, to the strange woman. It says, at the end of the, uh, your life, you will say, how I hated discipline, how my heart spurned correction. I would not obey my teachers or turn my ears to my instructors. And I was soon in serious trouble in the assembly of God's people. In other words, you could just hear the regret, the deep regret in this, this young man's voice when he was an old man. And, and part of the secret to dealing with this is taking your future regrets, your, your, your future bitter regrets, and turning them into present sweet repentance. You're either going to regret it at the end of your life or you're going to repent of it now. You can choose regret or repentance. It's one of the two. Okay? And if you have given away cheaply what was sacred and what you shouldn't have given away, it's not... It's not the end of the world. God can fix it. But then you need to repent now. Every se sexual sin, and I, I can take it further and say every sin, but certainly every sexual sin that you've committed that you don't repent of now, you will regret later. I can guarantee it. You will wish you had repented of it. Okay. Then also, I mean, it says in, in verse 21, for, for your ways are in full view of the Lord, and He examines all your paths. And... Um, Mama Joyce read that, that scripture in, in Hebrews 4 where it says we all stand naked before God. You know, and even as we are naked during sexual intercourse, so we are constantly naked before God. So that 
sexual intimacy only points us imperfectly towards the ultimate intimacy with God. You see, we want to be deeply known and deeply loved. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a need that we as human beings have. If, if someone says they love me but they don't know me, they don't really love me because they don't really know the me that they say they love. But in order to be deeply known, I have to, you know, in marriage, you know, take off my clothes and make myself vulnerable. But, but even in, in any kind of relationship, I have to take off the layers, you know, the masks, the protection, and really show who I am, warts and all, in order to be deeply known. I, I know I need to make myself really vulnerable, which is not easy, okay? And, and it's the same with God, but, but here's the, the challenge. How can God deeply know us and deeply love us at the same time? Because surely if He deeply knows us, He'll know how imperfect we are, how broken we are, how rebellious we are, how sinful we are, how wicked we are, how we desire all the wrong things, how we desire things more than other things more than Him. How can He deeply know us and deeply love us at the same time? Well, this... Even though this passage doesn't give us the final answer, it does give us some clues. Remember, it talks about the water, you know, drinking water from your own well and being intoxicated with your own wife. Water and wine. Water and wine. Does that remind you of something? Interesting that Jesus turned water into wine at a wedding nochals in Cana and um, it's an interesting situation because Jesus is sitting there and I think some of you singles can relate to this because he's sitting there and he, and he seems a bit down and depressed because he's sitting there and, and you know the, the, the wine's finished you know um, and in those days they didn't just have a wedding for an afternoon they had like a couple of days of wedding you know there were lots of festivities and it was a, a big social uh, embarrassment, you know, if the wine ran out. And Mary, Mary comes to Jesus and says, the wine's finished. And, and Jesus sounds almost grumpy. And he says, what has that got to do with me, woman? My time has not yet come, you know. <laughs> and, and if you can read it, 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 it actually, you know, he calls her woman, you know. So it, 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 it almost sounds like he's down and depressed and grumpy. You know, and, and some of you singles know probably what was going on there because, you know, if, you, if you're single and you want to marry and you, you sit at someone else's marriage, you, wedding, you sit there and it's like, you know, everyone else is enjoying themselves. Like, when's my turn coming, you know? <laughs> you, you're thinking of your own wedding, which you hope will come, but which you don't necessarily know is going to come. And, and I want to submit to you that Jesus was sitting at that wedding thinking of his own wedding and thinking of what that was going to cost him. How much was it going to cost him to both deeply know us and deeply love us? The water that he turned into wine was water purification, ritual purification water. Wine, obviously, is red like blood. And he turned it into the red wine. Wine brings joy afterwards, but to represent that, he's going to have to shed his blood for his wife, for his bride, so that he can both deeply know us and deeply love us, even though we're sinful and broken. And when we know that, 
when we know that we are deeply known and deeply loved not because we're perfect but because the perfect one died for us shed his blood for us washed us in his own blood then we can feel safe to say God here I am no pretensions no masks no hiding your grace is so much better and that is how sex ultimately points us to the ultimate intimacy which is intimacy with God so you know some of you are not married you want to get married some of you might never marry and there's place for that there really is place for that Jesus never married Paul probably never married um, and, and, and why that is okay is that marriage is only an imperfect pointer to the ultimate marriage all of us if you are a Christian whether you marry in this life or not you will experience the ultimate marriage one day in eternity you're not going to miss out on anything having said that obviously marriage is a blessing but don't don't idolize it and think that it's the ultimate thing and it's the only thing and your life is not worth living unless you're married that's not true either the ultimate marriage which will happen one day in eternity makes all of our lives worthwhile and that's when the wedding bells ring your bride will come together and we'll sing you're beautiful and then we'll be captivated by the ultimate beauty by God himself let's stand Jesus you are the ultimate beauty yes Lord Jesus we just want to even now Lord in anticipation of that day Lord when we Lord experience the ultimate marriage the ultimate intimacy to which physical sexual intimacy just imperfectly pointed Lord we even now Lord anticipating that day Lord we want to say you are beautiful Lord you are beautiful you are the ultimate bridegroom and we want to give ourselves wholly to you to you alone to no one else if you you're this this morning and you you've never made a commitment to Jesus because when when we come to Jesus we we as it were get married to him when you get married you make vows before the congregation with people as witnesses and, and, and you know when you're married. It's not like, you know, oops, it just happens and, and you know, someone asks you, are you married or not? And you say, oh, well, I don't know. When you're married, you know because you stood before the congregation. You made covenant vows, marriage vows to your partner. So if you're married to Jesus, spiritually speaking, you'll know it. If you don't know, then you need to make sure that you do know. If there's anyone here this morning that says, I, I want to commit myself exclusively to Jesus, 
I want to be born again. I want to, to, spiritually speaking, marry Jesus. If that's you, just quickly put up your hand and say, Henny, I'd like you to pray with me. I'd like to make those vows. I'd like to make that exclusive covenant commitment. Anyone like that? Just quickly put up your hand if that's you. Just wave at me. Anyone? Okay, so I presume we're, we're all Christians. So here's what I want to ask. If, if you come out of a background of sexual brokenness, whether you committed sexual sin or whether sexual sin was committed against you and you were abused and um, molested or raped or whatever it is, and, and there's a past of brokenness and hurt and baggage that you need to deal with, I just want you to come forward. Just come forward and just come and deal with it. Don't be afraid. Just, just come forward. Because I know there are people here, and now's your opportunity to deal with this. Now's your opportunity to deal with this. You need to deal with this in order to be ready for marriage. And you need to deal with this even if you are already married, because that brokenness is going to affect your marriage. You need to deal with this not only by yourself because it's a powerful brokenness. You've been broken and torn and you, need to, and you need to come and make it right. You need to say, God, come and heal me on a very deep level. Don't be afraid or ashamed. Please don't. There's, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No one's going to judge you. All of us have our own sins and our brokenness. Please do not, do not fail to respond because you feel, okay, what are people going to think of me? Don't care what people are going to think of you. We're going to love you. Jesus is going to love you because he died so that you can be healed of your brokenness. So I'm just going to, we're going to just start praying. Can I have a few counselors just coming forward and, and praying? But if you need to come forward, if you need to be here and you need someone to pray with you or for you, just come forward. Don't be, don't be afraid or ashamed. Okay, I'm going to close for us in prayer. And um, then if you need to leave, you're welcome to leave. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the great redeemer and the great healer, that you heal our brokenness, that you restore us, Lord, and that you don't only make us, Lord, like we were in the beginning, Lord. You make us not only new, you make us better than you. And we pray that you'll come and do that miracle in each of our hearts, Lord. And all of us, Lord, are have in our hearts committed adultery against you, Lord. And we just want to come and repent and say, Lord, please forgive us and please heal us and restore us from the brokenness that we've brought into our own lives. I just pray your blessing over all your people in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this message from Shofar Joburg. May the grace you receive produce God's greatest glory and your greatest good. For more information and sermons, please visit our website at www.shofar.joburg.com.